0: All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are now into our Q&A phase of the podcast. So we have a couple of words uh, from our sponsors. So I'm going to start off with a special announcement. <clears throat> hey, Alabama heretics. Keith Giles will be speaking at the Proactive Love Conference in the Birmingham, Alabama area on Saturday, September the 15th, to talk about how loving our enemies changes everything. Learn more and register today at ProactiveLoveAL. That's A-L for Alabama dot com, proactive All right. Even though we just finished having a pretty long conversation about the issues of de- deconstruction and the process and uh what it does to us as well as to other uh, you know relationships and things like that. Uh obviously if you have questions related to that that is encouraged and welcome if we want to hear those. But even if you just have questions in general about faith or just Mary Magdalene a, or Mary Magdalene I can't imagine that Heresy. anybody would Thank you. for any reason but if you did uh, you're in the right place because we could probably talk about that anyway so uh, let's keep Nat- it rolling Matthew <laughs> you have a question for us
1: yes um, so what I wondered is um, one other word for deconstruction that's used is by Peter Rollins uh, pyrotheology Ooh. as he calls it. Oh. Um, Love it and so I'm curious if I know for me, Roland's work has been influential. Um, I'm wondering if, for any of you three, if Peter Roland's work has been influential um, in understanding deconstruction using different language and metaphors. And um, what you think of that?
2: Oh yeah, <clears throat> pyro theology. Uh, Peter Roland's like I, I feel like. Well, first of all, I would encourage everybody to check that out because the idea is that. I mean, I, obviously the word pyro is fire and burn up and destroy kind of thing. But actually, um, something somebody, somebody that who's who's influenced, I think Peter Rollins has been a guy named uh, John Philip Noel. You guys heard of John, a guy named John Philip Noel? Oh no way! You got a book by John Philip? Oh Newell. my gosh! Right someone has he's amazing. Okay, wow. John Philip Noel. He's a he's an interesting guy. But he talked about he had a vision one time. Uh, I think and this vision, this is funny. Um, but the vision was of a big turd <laughs> falling out of the sky and crashing into a cathedral and like destroying the church. And, and it was like, what does that mean? said so I think he was asking the question, like, what does that mean? Mm. And, it, and God was basically saying like, I'm destroying the idea of Christianity as you know it. Like literally this is a, this is a holy thing. This is the work of God to destroy your concept of Christianity, the way it's been delivered to us, because it's so other. And, you know, this also reminds me of a, um, there's a preacher in France. I've spent some time in France. I have some friends there. And there is an evangelical preacher who is very charismatic and, you know, evangelical. um, But he had a near-death experience. He got really sick. And in his near-death experience, he had a vision of Jesus. And Jesus came to him and showed him his city. And in the city, there was all these cathedrals and people going to these churches and everybody was worshiping and praising, very high energy praise and worship kind of thing. And Jesus was taking him down these streets and showing him the pictures of this. And he said, what is this? And he said, this is, this is what I would refer to as Babylon. And he said, this is, where, this is where the people are. And he said, and he's like, and you too. And Jesus like looked at this guy. This guy's name is, uh, name, pa- his name is Patrick Fontaine. He's a preacher in France, well-known in France. And so the, Jesus basically told him and said, and you too are in Babylon. And he said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you've had an idol. And for the last 20 years since your conversion, you've been worshiping an idol. He said, no, I've been, no, I haven't. He's like, cause he had this really radical conversion process as a teenager from, you know, drug culture to like this devout Christian culture. And he said- He's like, he's like, no, I've been serving you for 20 years, faithful in ministry. He said, no, you've actually been serving an idol. He's like, well, what idol? He said, well, the name you give it is Jesus, but it's an idol. It's not me. It's a caricature. And so I'm going to change in this generation in one generation. I'm completely changing the comprehension and understanding of what you even think Jesus is and what you think Christianity is. And this was like a radical thing for him because he was like, I mean, he had been involved in like healing people and doing street conversion. I mean, all kinds of things, planting lots of churches, things that you would look at and go, "Oh, that's a very successful ministry." And he like literally came out of that and quit everything, walked away from all of it after this experience. And so, pyro theology. Back to your question, is like the essence of it is is that you know, in order for you to get where you're going, <laughs> um, that God has to burn up, basically destroy your entire conceptualization of what you think is real. Because it so skews uh, your understanding or our understanding of the divine, you know, of God. It's uh, God, God, it's you know, herself, himself, however you want to put that.
1: I haven't, I haven't read much of Rollins. Um, I've listened, my wife listens to the Rob cast and I know he's on Rob Bell's podcast a lot. So Peter, you. <laughs> thank you. He's yeah, on, think- he is on his game today. I have um, So he, he talks from my bathroom when my wife gets ready in the morning. But that's <laughs> and everything he says, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm tracking with him. But you know, I personally haven't read much of him.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I, I haven't either. I think there's one book that he wrote that someone sent to me, and I I started to read it and I enjoyed it, but it was just something at the time it didn't catch me and I didn't get to finish it. So I'm aware of him. Um, I, I apologize. Sounds like you really love him. Maybe I should go back and finish reading it. But, uh, but no, I love what, I love what you said, Jamal. Yeah. That was really good.
1: I will eventually read Rollins because I've heard a lot. I know yeah, I've he's heard influenced good stuff. Jeff Turner, right? I, um, I, but yeah. Peter
2: Rollins shares the story. I want to maybe, this is a good, I think, picture of pyrotheology. He writes these parables. So, Peter, am I right? He, I think he writes parables. Yeah. He has a whole book on parables. One parable, I just want to share it because I think it's profound. And it's, I think, what, it's, what we're talking about pyrotheology is like the parable was there was this preacher who discovered, obviously, this is a parable. So, it's a, it's a, fictitious story that he made up to communicate a point, It's like, a like Jesus did. Okay, so so the parable is there's this preacher who has this superpower, and the superpower is when he prays for somebody, they lose their faith. So this preacher would, like, pray for people. Like, he would sincerely pray for them, and they'd become atheists. And so he's like, is it me? Every time I pray for somebody, they become an atheist. So he's like, I don't want to pray for them anymore. So one day, he, like, he gave up on praying for people. So one day, he's on a train and he's traveling somewhere, and he's preparing for a sermon. He has his Bible out, and he's writing a sermon notes down. And across from him in the train is some business guy he's in the suit. He's had a few drinks. He's a little bit intoxicated, and he's like cussing. He's on the phone. Man. He's like cussing, kind of like Matt. He's like cussing <laughs> everybody out. And he's like, upset. he's upset with some, some somebody he's talking to on the phone. And so the guy's like looking at him, like, oh my gosh, this guy's really unhinged, and he's yelling and screaming on the phone. Finally, the guy slams the phone down. he's ticked, you know, and he like takes a swig of his drink and he looks up and he sees this pastor across from him, like reading the Bible and like writing notes. And he's like, what are you, uh, religious? And the guy's like, uh, so yeah. He's like, what are you a pastor or something? He's like, yeah. He's like, so you're, you're, you're a Christian. He's like, I am. He's like, me too. (laughs) He's like, uh, I'll tell you what he's like, it may not look like it, but, uh, I have an issue with my, you know, I have an issue with my, uh, drinking. I have an issue also with anger. As you can see, he's like, and I would have come apart years ago if it wasn't for my faith. So I admire the good book. I'm mature. I'm in church every Wednesday, and I go to church every Sunday. And if it wasn't for the, for my faith, I'd be done a long time ago. So I admire your work. The pastor's like, oh wait, okay. He's like, and he was felt moved. He forgot about his superpowers. So he's like, can I pray for you? Guys, like, okay. So he prays for them, you know. And he's like, prays, and after he's done with his prayer. The pastor uh, looks up and the guy like is looking around. He goes, wait a minute, I just had this epiphany. What's that? He's like, I've been going to church faithfully, reading my Bible every week, faithfully for 20 years. And you know what? This shit don't work. (laughs) Freaking, I got an anger issue. It hasn't been solved. Like I'm just hanging on. I'm like convincing myself this stuff works with all the terminology. This don't work. I'm kidding myself. I'm done with this God stuff. Walks away pastor's like, no, like it's not what I wanted. This is the same pattern. So the, the guy gets off the, the train. He doesn't see him 10 years later. Well, before that, the, so this guy, this business guy, who's got this issue and a drinking issue, he goes home and he's like, man, since I don't believe in God anymore, I'm not going to go to church anymore. He's like, so I should probably find out why I am so angry. I got to like, get to the root of that. He's like, because I I don't know what else to do. And he's like, and and not only that, like I'm really miserable in my job. So maybe I got to figure out what am I really supposed to be doing in life? Because I hate my job. So I need to look into that. And so he's like going down this road and he's like, and you know, I need to figure out like, like, man, I think all my relationships are in shambles. Like maybe I need to figure out what I need to do to like learn how to love my family. And so he starts to get real with it. So 10 years later, he runs in the pastor again. The pastor's like, He doesn't recognize him. He's like, hey, you're that pastor on that train 10 years ago. He's like, that's right. He's like, you remember you prayed for me? He's like, that's right. He goes, thank you. You helped me find my true faith. And that's the the idea that this guy had to burn up his theology. He had to get rid of the the show, the shadow, the illusion, so that he could actually get real with his own life and what he was dealing with. So that's, I think, a good definition of pirate theology.
0: That's cool. Any Any
1: other other questions? Any other
0: questions? This will be a very short podcast. Yeah, a 9-minute podcast. <laughs> hey guys. Hey, Jason. Hey, um if you I would like to hear your opinions on if you can if you can foresee um tension with family members coming because you're in a process of deconstruction
1: and there are ways that it will come out, maybe speaking or writing or something and you know it's going to it's going to
0: get ugly um how would you practically suggest prepping for that or prepping other people maybe for that the people who may you know family members who you know will be offended or hurt or they can't believe you now believe these things um any practical advice for kind of stepping into that um soon to be war zone yeah wow well
1: don't don't do what I did and speak from a place of anger. I was—I um, mean, I was—I was really angry at the church and had good questions, and rightfully so. I wouldn't—I wouldn't look back and say I disagree with my thought process or the things I was working through. I would have, if I had to do it over, I would say I would—I would sort of just go away for a while yeah. and, and work through that without being so vocal. Um, I don't think anyone should rush into, uh, and this is just from my experiences. I mean, you want to rush into things and start firing off <laughs> questions, go for it. Like, knock yourself out. Um, but it's not, I think you learn as you go to ask the better questions, to to not just to prove like you're, Intellectual superiority, right. yeah. or the fact that these people don't know what they're talking about because they really haven't studied church theology or history or development of thought, or anything—that's pointless. Like that just feeds your own ego. Um, so always take us take a minute to what's what's the motivation behind your writing, or the or your questioning, or you're asking these questions. Do you really want to have the dialogue? And are these people really ready for this dialogue? Right. And, and maybe you could ask questions in the nicest way. Maybe they're just not ready. And so you always be more cautious than I personally was. I mean, I just was like, fuck it. Let's ask some questions and just see, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that doesn't go so well. Um, at least in my experiences. Um, some people I'm sure have, have had better experiences. Some people probably worse. Um, yeah. I don't be, too, don't be too, too, too rushed to get that, get that get those thoughts out there. Yeah, not, not to be dishonest, because you also want, I mean, if you believe something's true, you want people to hear. I mean, if you really believe someone is enslaved to a fear-based religious system, you want to liberate people. You want to help people. We, most of us are, are altruistic and want to help people. And if we look at our systems and say, this is detrimental to your psychology and your spirituality and your anthropology and the way you deal with other people... You want to help people um, you got to you know. kind of weigh whether those people would see it that way or you know,
0: yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think you have to um especially with family members, and that's what you're talking about, right like family members uh, because i have I have like like Matt, I have family members who are very painful that you know that we had this beautiful relationship, and now it's sort of severed over these things. And not from my direction. I'm not the one, right, who's cut, who's severed the cord, but they've made a decision um, to sort of kind of pull back. And uh, so that's very painful. And that wasn't something like, and I didn't really necessarily bring it up. I I agree with what Matt is saying. I think in some ways, like if you're in a place now with your family where your beliefs have changed and theirs haven't, and now you're kind of afraid of, okay, Thanksgiving is coming up and I'm going to go home and... What are we going to talk about? I would just say really consider whether or not you need to have that conversation. Like, um, is this something? Um, is it? Is it? You know, is is it going to bring? Is it just going to bring strife, or uh, could there be a positive outcome out of it? I, I don't know. I think every there's no one answer for this, right? It's not like one across the board answer. Every individual situation is going to be different depending on you, depending on the person, and even depending on what it the particular belief or or idea is that that you've shifted or changed that they haven't, you know, um so it's really tough. I think the verse that comes to mind is the one that says, you know, is uh, to live at peace with all men as far as it depends upon you. and um you know, in other words, so do all you can uh, to have peace. if it's something you just feel like you're living sort of this lie and you're you don't want to pretend anymore to your family that you're this whatever look at me, I'm a Calvinist, but you're really not. Or (laughs) look at me, I believe in eternal suffering, but you really don't. Um, Then there's just something inside of you that's just like, ah, I have to be real. I can't fake it anymore. I've got to somehow express to them like, and I just don't believe that anymore. But that's really tough because what that's doing is testing the assumption that we've talked about already. Do they love me unconditionally? Do these people that I love so dearly are they still going to love me as intensely when they find out I don't agree with them on something? Now, with my own parents, uh, I've, I've discovered that uh, they've been really cool about it, which, thank God, they've been, my, my parents have been really the best. Uh, even when I know some of the things that I've talked with them about have challenged them, I've been shocked even though some of the things they've, like, they've embraced, like, oh, that, sounds, that makes sense. We've had some really good conversations. Um, but again, you can't, unfortunately, you can't control the, those outcomes. Uh, the best you can do is, I think as long as you start from a place of your heart's desire, like Matt was saying, your heart's desire is, you don't want an argument. You're you're not trying to, you know, uh, start a fight. You, you're just wanting to express something that's a different point of view. Uh, and and as, as much as you can make sure that comes from a place of sincere humility and love, that's the best you can do, you know, and then whatever happens is on them, right? And then, you're, and then how you respond to that, which though it's, it is very painful, like we've been saying. It can be a very painful process um, to experience that shifting. Of the temperature in the room just changes because all of a sudden, oh, you think that way. Oh, you don't believe that anymore. And suddenly, you know, they're not laughing at your jokes anymore. And, you know, it's kind of sad. So uh, it's it's a tough one, man. I, I don't think there's a,
2: an easy answer to it. But. I think, I think um, <clears throat> maybe asking the question – I think the best relationships are the one in which you're aware of what the other person needs. And then asking the question, what do they really need? Because sometimes people want, they need to tell you what they're concerned about. And if that's what they need to do, you, you should allow them to have, I think it's good to say, Hey, you feel conflicted. You, you feel concerned for me and our journey. Maybe they just need to share that with you. And as you're confident in your journey, you know, you can let them voice their concern to the degree that it's okay. I mean, you don't want to go beyond to an abusive situation. But asking them, asking the question, like, so for example, my dad, he means well, you know, he thinks I've lost my way. You know, I'm the, you know, prodigal son, whatever you want to call it. And so sometimes when I talk to him, I know that he needs as a dad to share how he's concerned about me. And I know that he needs that. So I'll just let him vent. And I know when I hit my limit, when I, when I feel like, okay, I, th- thank you. I've heard enough of that. So I, what I'll say is like, okay, dad, thank you for sharing. And let's pick this back up later. And I know I've given him what he needed. Not every question is a question. Sometimes questions are really statements. So if somebody wants to question you about your belief, if, if, and trust your inner guidance. If you believe it to be a statement, then let him make the statement. But if, it's a legi- if you feel like it's a legitimate question, then you can feel free to share and answer the question. But it's um, just trust yourself, trust your heart, and give them what they need. Yeah,
0: that's good. Uh, can I just real quick say something? And then, yeah, you're next. Uh, this wasn't a family member, but it was a really good friend of mine <clears throat> that lives locally. Uh, and I love this guy to death. He's like one of my closest friends. I love him. And, um, and I know we, he and I disagree on certain theological points, so I sent him, there's a YouTube clip of, uh, I, I love it. It's Brian Zond and this other guy, and it's, it's a debate. And it's called the Monster God Debate. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's amazing. So I sent it to my friend and he was like, oh, I couldn't even watch it. You know, it just it made me so upset. I got so angry, I couldn't watch. It. Oh. So I was like, oh, that's disappointing. Well, a few months later, I sent him another YouTube clip and it's Brad Jerzak doing the beautiful gospel in chairs. If you've ever seen that, that's also an amazing clip. And here's the funny thing. They're both saying the same thing. Right. But when he watched the Brad Jerzak beautiful gospel in chairs, he goes, oh, I cried through the whole thing. It was so beautiful, man. That touched me so much. Thank you. That's, that's awesome. I was like, whoa, look at that. So in some ways, it's, maybe it's even just finding the right way to introduce that information, right? So for my friend, it was definitely not the debate situation, but it was this beautiful presentation that just framed the same information in a way that he was able to receive it. Right. And that's, it's, not, it's going to be sometimes really hard to know what it is for that person that's going to work or click and mm-hmm. what, what's going to just set them off. So anyway, there's just a real example of that.
3: Um, I mean, I'm not going to have better questions when I'm back in my kitchen listening to you guys talking, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have this one um, question is uh, because for me personally, when we left our denomination and started on this journey, on this road, and we've been through so many. Mine started with Benjamin L. Corey's book, Undiluted. Oh, yes. That's the one that just clicked to me. The light went on, and I was like, everything he's saying is exactly what I'm feeling. I thought I was the only one on this earth <laughs> feeling like this. And um, I was afraid to share it with him because he's <laughs> a third-generation Seventh-day Adventist, or he was. and so that was really scary for me because i grew up in a home that was catholic one moment and there was baptist another moment and it was all this other religions you know uh, on and on so i wasn't taught that there was just one way so i had that going for me (laughs) but uh now that i'm on this road and it's been three years since uh my discovery i'm so elated like i want to share it with everybody. And I feel like it's like a new start. I feel like it's during Jesus time or even after and you're getting together in these small little groups because there is no church to go to with all this that we've been discovered, that I've been discovering and that we've been discovering together. And so for me, it's elation. And sometimes it feels like a dream. Like I'm going through this dream and I sometimes have to ask myself, geez, am I really here? Did I really hear that? Did I really read that? Is that what it really is? Mm -hmm. So my question to you guys is, how do you guys feel since learning this new journey or being on this new journey and learning these new things? Mm -hmm. You mean now? Yeah. Okay. Now.
2: (laughs) That's a great question.
1: Um, I, I mean, per, I'll, I'll go first, uh, complete, I mean, liberated, uh, my first book I called all set free because that's how I felt and how I've viewed how everyone's going to feel. <laughs> um, and so I, I just, uh, yeah, I was, I was raised in a very law-based, I I don't want to say puritanical, but holiness code, do this, don't do that. Um, mindset and interpretation of christianity and it was very enslaving and so for instance i was always told gay people were sinful simply for being gay and i knew the bible verses for that but in my heart i felt like i had to say that because i felt like it wasn't true like i and i felt like a hypocrite for saying it because i was sitting here saying well you two gay dudes can't do literally the same things and live the same life as I, as a heterosexual person, can do. You're just doing it with someone else. I can get married to a woman I'm attracted to and you, you gay people, you gotta, you're gotta, you wrong. And so I had to say that theologically was true, but in my heart was like, I think I'm full of shit. <laughs> um, so, um, it was... Uh, it was very difficult to, to wrestle with that and, and grapple with that. But once I saw the gospel and Christianity and the Bible and all these doctrines I was told were true, might not be true, and, 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 and working through that, I guess the reason why I gravitated towards those more um, theologically inclusive doctrines was because it felt liberating. It felt like actual good news. It wasn't, I mean, Jesus says his, his yoke is light. It's, it's not mm-hmm. burdensome. And I felt burdened. And so it just didn't line up. Theology didn't line up with direct experiences for me. But once it seemed to, it's like, oh, this is what I've directly experienced in life. If someone has given me unadulterated grace, or if I show someone unadulterated forgiveness, the minute I forgave my dad for being like a really shitty dad, is the minute I felt liberated. It was like, oh, okay, this is freeing for me.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I remember, um, I'm to use my dad as another example here. Um, I remember um, my dad, my dad, uh, like a lot, a lot of us, have come out of like repressive kind of religious ideas. So his idea was that the world is bad people are bad. God is angry. So that kind of informs the way he views everything. So I wrote, but a lot of good things were happening personally for our family. My dad's a lot of good things were happening and he couldn't see it. A lot of blessings, good things. I was like, he couldn't see it. And I got so frustrated. My dad was very nervous. My dad's an anxious kind of man. So he was anxious, nervous, worried. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, wait a minute, he doesn't even see all the good things that are happening. And I was frustrated. I started to get angry inside. And I remember just like venting to God, "God, God's so angry. This guy doesn't see anything. He doesn't appreciate anything. He's he's always frustrated, you know? And I I, I felt like what I heard back was, look at yourself. You're frustrated because he's frustrated. (laughs) You don't have, you want him to have peace, and now you don't have peace. And I just was like, yeah, that's kind of, and I actually kind of chuckled, like, that's kind of funny, actually. I'm angry with him for the very thing I don't have. (laughs) So I had this vision, literally this picture came to me and it was a pie. And in the pie, it was sliced up in eight, eight slices. And the pie I knew in the vision represented peace. And what I, what I saw was a spatula kind of come down and scoop out one piece of peace pie. And it was put on a plate and it was offered to my dad. And one piece of pie was put on a plate and offered to me. And my, I saw my dad going, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And then I saw the, the hand take it away from my dad and say, give it to me. He said, if your dad won't eat his peace pie and he's all frustrated, why don't you eat it for him? You can have two pieces, not just one. You have yours and you have his and have peace for him because you're a priest. That's what priests do. They do things on behalf of other people. So why don't you, so I just was like, wait a minute, I can have peace for another person. So if he won't believe the things I believe, I can believe it on his behalf. And it gave me a lot of satisfaction and peace. And so I take that now and go, if somebody doesn't believe the way I do, and they're like all frustrated and they don't want, they're not open. They don't want to hear it. The way it affects me is like, they don't need to believe it. I'll believe it for them. I can have peace for them. So I can look at a Calvinist or, a, or whatever you want to call it. And I can look at them and they're all, you know how they, how they do. And I can just be like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. I, I love you. I'm totally fine. You can think I'm going to hell all you want. You can think you're depraved all you want. I know your inherent goodness. You can think you're inherently depraved. I know your inherent goodness. I feel it for you. I feel it for myself. You don't even have to believe like I do. doesn't matter. So it's liberating. I no longer have an agenda People don't have to believe the way I do and I can still accept them and include them and love them. Like it's no longer dependent upon what they believe because I can believe it for them.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think. Uh, What's that?
2: Yeah. Totally. Like can't, yeah. Like can, I love the term namaste because it just means the God in me sees the God in you. And it doesn't depend on any the other person. It's like, I can see the God in you. I can see, like, I challenge you to meet another human being that, has, that is not made in the image and likeness of God. So the most Bible-believing person that believes in the literal words of Genesis and how the, the creation of event unfolded, you can go to that person and go, you know, you can say, okay, according to your belief in Genesis— when it says that all human beings were created in the image and likeness of God, can you find a human being that does not bear the the divine image? And if 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 the answer is no, everybody de- bears that divine image. Then the question is, on you, can you see that divine image? Not do they need to change? The question is, can you see it? Because if I can see it, I'm better off. You know.
0: Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. uh, I don't know about anyone else, but all I can think of right now is pie. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, real quick, I I agree with these guys. I I think for me, the beautiful thing is I I feel like I I don't fear God anymore. Uh, I I love him and I realize how much he really loves me. And in fact, I've been like really geeking out lately on just meditating on all these amazing verses in in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Romans that just go on and on and on about this incredible love of God, right? That nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, and it's higher, wider, and longer and deeper than we can imagine. It's like, and it's that kind of stuff just blows my mind, and I feel like I have freedom now to really fully uh, grasp that, you know what I mean? And and to have permission to believe that there Mm. is a God who loves me just way more than I can ever imagine. That's why I don't fear God. I don't fear hell. I don't fear this judgment. I feel like God, God is love and he loves me and he loves everyone. And he wants us to, to grasp this incredible love. So, uh, I don't, I don't embrace this worm theology anymore that like, like Jamal was saying, you know, inherently uh, I'm evil and I'm bad. And no, I feel like, uh, that God sees me completely and loves me through and through. Um, and so I'm not a worm in his eyes. I'm, I'm his child. And, um, so anyway, those are the kind of things that, that I feel like I've, uh, I've received now coming through that deconstruction process and it's beautiful. It's awesome. So it, in other words, I guess it's worth all the crap you have to go through to come out the other side. You know what I mean? Uh, although I don't, I don't want to say out the other side because I feel like I'm still deconstructing. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm constantly questioning and studying and looking and questioning and pushing. Right. You know? Uh, and, and I don't, I, and I kind of want that. Like, I don't ever want to get to the place where I've, or I feel like in my beliefs that the cement is dry, right? And no, you can't question that. Don't you, no, don't don't, don't push that. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't, personally, I don't want to reach that. I always want to have it loose and open and embrace the mystery, so.
1: Right. And, when, and once you get to a place where you realize that even if you have good theology, your theology is never God, yeah. you're never, you you've never got there where you're like, okay. I think it's Bernard Ram who says that God forgives us God forgives our sins like you, or God forgives our theology like he forgives our sins. Like, wow, well, that's good. It's, it's <laughs> my theology, as good as it, I think it is, <laughs> right? Um, it's not God. You know? mm-hmm. So there's always grace for that. There's, I mean, how liberated. We don't have to get it right. It doesn't mean shut off our minds and be, you know, an idiot and don't think about things and just buy hook, line, and sinker, whatever someone's saying. Think about things. I mean, that's why I think Jesus tells us to love God with our mind. You know, when he quotes Deuteronomy 6, he puts in that little love God with your mind thing. Like, we need to think about these things. But but we need to not idolize what we think about God. How liberating, because God's going to forgive it anyway. We don't have to get God right because we can't. I mean, can we? Is there any? Raise your hand if you have perfect theology. I mean, if if you're raising your hand, like, I mean... <laughs> you know, you, you you probably have a little bit of narcissism or arrogance because, I mean, and you might have great theology. I mean, you might you might have some good insights. That's true. I think a lot of us probably have good insights. All of us probably have something to contribute. But the minute we say, oh, I've got the corner marked on God, like, we don't need to. That's never the point. Yeah, that's
2: good. Yeah,
0: that's the, just for those yeah. listening, because I want people who listen to the podcast to hear what you said. So what you said uh, was that uh, he told you was uh, our theology is our best guess.
2: Best guess. Yeah.
0: I like
1: that. That's It's true. It's a guess. It could be an educated guess. Some more educated than others. And that's fine. But But what if
2: it doesn't matter? You know, like, like, for example, we, I love people. I love, you know, I have people in my life, but my love for them does not depend upon what they believe. It's just not, I, yeah. No, at the end of the day, it's not
1: dependent. I think you do need to have decent beliefs to get to that place, though. So, in a way, it does matter. If I believed that I'm I'm white, so I'm blessed, you know. If I have that view, like some people literally have that view that like races are superior to others, yeah. like bad beliefs can really then, muck things up. Obviously, so beliefs right. do matter in a way, but at the yeah. same time. They're not the end-all, be-all of everything.
4: Yeah. Hello. Um, I didn't see it on there. I don't know if I missed it on, like, the chart thing. But um, I feel like it's part of the process of cynicism. Is that on there?
0: It's not on there, but that's okay. We can add that in anywhere you want to put it.
4: Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was just gonna, well, I I don't know why I assumed, I just assumed that you all, you all have gone through the deconstruction process. Yes.
0: Still, still going. Or you're in it. Mm.
4: So I guess my question is kind of like twofold. Like, did you go through that part? The cynicism being cynical? Um, if, and how did you get through it? Um, and this is kind of a weird part of it, but it relates to me personally. So Um, I was a worship leader for a while and you know, there's a lot of emotion attached to that part of ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm an emotional person. And so going through this process sort of without, without that, um, what's the word? Well, anchor, but like also like, it's like a venting place or a connection place outlet. There you go. Outlet. Um, it, it, like I felt a lot of, um, loss, you know, because I didn't have that connection to God. Because my deconstruction process has very little to do with my relationship, um, for me personally. My relationship has never been in question, but the information, the doctrine, church, people at church, all those kinds of things have been, you know, totally, um, moved around in my brain and, and all that stuff. And so, anyway, I'm trying to get to the point, which is that, the whole cynical part of it, like how do you how do you deal with that part? Because um, I don't want to be cynical. I, I I want to be at peace, and I want to be what?
2: Can you give an example of cynicism? Like when when you feel cynical about okay. something? Can you like
4: what, what, so what like is when someone is sharing their faith? Okay. Or when you go to a church service and you see people on their knees, okay, or in tears, you know. And part of you is like, you know, for me, like a lot of that stuff, I I let I. I was like, well, that doesn't mean anything, you know, because they're, they believe in something that's not, doesn't mean the same thing to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, I didn't stop believing in humanity and that people hurt and want forgiveness or they want validation or they want connection or they want whatever it is that they're, you know, searching for. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I doubted them or their authenticity, but I don't know, just the whole, the whole, you know. I don't know. I feel like I'm not expressing myself right I I'm I'm I've been in this process for like a year and I was out of church and I miss worship so much. I w- I miss worship music. And so I'm kind of like looking for that. Like, do any of you have that? Like, do you guys in your journeys, like, do you still listen to worship music? Do you wrestle with the words? Because that's my biggest thing now. Like, I listen to stuff and I'm like, whoa. Like that cannot be in that song, you know, especially with now with what I believe. I'm like, this is terrible. This is so sad and so hopeless. And, you know, and so now I'm getting back into church. My brother is a pastor and the church that he's a part of is um, progressing. Mm -hmm. And it's been actually really interesting to hear some of their sermons. Um, I I was actually going to post some of their sermons on the Heretic Happy Hour page. Go for it. I was like, I don't know if they're okay with it. I don't know if you're okay with we'll it. Maybe you I'll message know. it to we'll you. We'll let you but,
0: know what we think. It just uh,
2: depends on their statement of faith, what they it's believe.
4: It's such a yeah. taboo thing, I feel like. It's such a taboo thing. Like, when you're in ministry for so long, you're just like, can we share? Can mm. I share this? Can you share that? I don't know. Anyway, but um, so I'm getting back into church, and I'm getting back involved with ministry, worship specifically, and I'm like wrestling with song choices. I'm yep. wrestling with yes. how, you know. So I don't even know if I asked a question. Yes. No.
0: Like, I, I think you did.
2: Can I? Yeah, let me address that. But real quick. help
4: me. I, I remember.
2: Here, here's the thing: cynicism. Cynicism We're isn't. We're taking the mic away from her uh, now. Uh, okay, so <laughs> you can tell she's a worshipper. She was. She was on that mic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I remember a phase where I was very cynical of preachers very cynical of any, any religious experiences. So I remember a couple of years ago, a friend invited me, I was back in my hometown um, where I'm from in Columbus, Ohio. And a friend invited me to a multi multi-faith worship service where they invited different churches from across the city to come together. It's about 5,000 people in this auditorium. It was it had a praise worship band on stage. You know, I, I I was, that was like a former life. I was a part of that years ago. So like, I remember being triggered, like walking in and going, look at this crap. I left this stuff, you know, and I was really triggered and they were singing songs and, um, and, and they had this big screens and the, the words were on the screen. And it was all about like, God, you're so good. You're holy. You're pure. You're worthy of all praise. These, these phrases, you know, that we sing in like worship songs. And I felt cynicism. Um, but then I, I was looking around with the people in the room and there was like, all these people. And I was looking, and they were looking up at the sky. And I'm like, what are they looking at? And I knew in my heart. But then I came to this realization of what cured cynicism for me is the belief that at the root of every behavior is a good intention, is a noble intention. And that actually is the most important part. So when I, so, as soon as I realized that, I was able to see, look at these beautiful people. Look at these good people who are in sincerity, trying to connect to something beyond themselves. And it like really made me appreciate their heart. And then those words, something mystical happened to me in that moment. So here I'm in this worship service where I was judging it a few minutes earlier. And now I'm going, there's a beautiful thing happening. All these people are directing their energy beyond themselves, which is beautiful. And then I started to Instantly people started coming to mind. So, so I started mouthing the words of these worships of these worship songs. And instead of like applying it to some distant figure in the sky somewhere, I started thinking of people, real people who I knew, and I started texting them the words of those songs. So instead of talking to some theoretical figure in the sky, you are good. You are worthy of all praise. You're worthy of devotion I started texting that to real human beings. And by the way, those human beings, people will say, well, that's idolatry. How could it be? Because all human beings are literally the manifestation of the image and likeness of God. The whole point has always been about incarnation from day one, that we are literally incarnating the divine on this planet. So when we love other people, we are loving God. This is exactly what Jesus said. There's no difference. And so it, it like it like restored to me like the sense of like so cynicism is like okay maybe i just have a different place to to like so i worship now but i just don't worship the sky <clears throat> okay. i want to worship where god lives yeah. and where does god live Yeah, <clears throat> it, within the essence of humanity well, and that's something that's changed for me too yeah is that-
4: Uh, he's become something different in the sense that like he wouldn't want to be, he doesn't need it. Right. The adoration and all that stuff. I mean, if, if we, if we give it, he receives it. I mean, I think, but I don't think he's like, you know, I don't know. Worship services are so different to me now, especially when I'm up there now. And I'm just like, you're right. Like I, there is this without even realizing it, just you saying, it. I'm like, yes, I'm I'm thinking about the people. I even went on so far last Sunday to say like this, Worship service is for you guys.
2: Yeah. Yes. I stopped closing my eyes in worship. and yes. I knew that there had been a change in me because I started to see people and I would like direct the songs to people.
4: And we've been wired. Some of us have been wired so differently to close your eyes. Don't think about anybody else around you. This is for God. And it's like, but then when I discover who like him, it's like, he doesn't want that. What does like God you? look like? Yeah. It's like. looks like you. Yeah. Thank you. So, but I, I think you were going to say something about worship music, right?
0: Yeah, I had a couple things. Um, so I know what you're feeling because I like, um, love my mom and dad to death. But uh, I've since left the whole traditional church model. I'm in part of a house church now, with has, like I said, you know, very radically different. Um, but any time I go back to visit my parents, if if I'm staying over the weekend, we go to their church. They love their. Me- they go to this mega church in El Paso. They love it, love it. So I go with them, and the same thing. I walk in, and immediately I'm just like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what I started doing was like just praying like lord You know uh, I because if I don't do this i'll just sit there and i'll just pick every little thing. You know what I mean? I'll just like critique. Oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's wrong. No, that's oh, you're right. Sure You know, i'm just and the whole time i'm just getting you know Tense so I just started saying okay god, you know what god give me your eyes Let me to see let me see people the way you see people and help me to find you in this place Like I believe you're here You're in this place. And so just show me you. Let me see you. And the beautiful thing was he did. And like, so I I got a ton out of that. Uh, I I came home very blessed, right? But only because I've opened myself up to say, okay, God, show me you're here. You're, you're, you know what I mean? And and show me what that looks like. But um, one thing in general that's helped me just specifically with just not being negative and stuff um, and being um, inventing and all that kind of stuff um, I started, this has like become something that through our house church that we've, um, we just sort of learned is that everyone is in process. And that, um, again, we've we said this already, but you know, there's things I believe now, I didn't believe five years ago or 10 years ago. And again, I hope that I'm gonna to continue to, those things are gonna be soft and and they're gonna to continue to grow and, and mature and change. And, um, and so because of that, you know, it, it gives me grace and we've learned to have grace for each other and for other people that we meet that, you know, like I may completely disagree with everything that person just said or what they believe, but, I, but I've found a way to, to, to give them permission to be where they're at in that process, right? So we're all at different points in the curve. And maybe I'm over here, but you're you're over here, but in, maybe in other ways, you're like way ahead of me, right? And it isn't about who's in, who's ahead of anybody else. That isn't the issue. It's just the, rec- the recognition that everyone is in process, right? Um, and then giving everyone permission to be Uh, To be in that place and that's okay. Um, And then, if I could, real quick, I just want to say something about worship music. We are going to do a whole podcast, by the way. It's it's on our list. We're going to do a whole thing on worship music. But um, but I think worship music. What I started noticing with worship music and even with hymns is how much worm theology is in it. You know, like our favorite, the best hymn ever, "Amazing Grace," right? Saved a wretch like me. It's like we just keep reinforcing this. What a worm. What a wretch. Oh, even one of my favorite modern worship songs, Reckless Love, the first time I heard that, I wept. It was like, oh, beautiful. But then I started noticing, we were actually in line last time at Sidecar. We did the the second live recording. The first time we ever did the second live recording. And we were standing in line at Sidecar to get donuts. And we were talking about that song, Reckless Love. And I I think at first I was just saying like how much I love that song. And then Jamal said, yeah, but there's that one part. And it's like, yeah, there's that one part that bugs me. And the line is, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Ugh. Still you give yourself away. Now, I love the last part. Still you give yourself away. Oh, God just gives himself away anyway. But it's like, why do, why do we feel the need to, to stress? I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it. My sons are here tonight. And, yes. and I love them to death. What and are I, the names, by the way? David and Dylan. I'm not sure David Dylan. are You just hear him a minute ago. There he is. Dylan's back there.
2: That's so cool. Um,
0: and I can't imagine ever saying to my sons, you know, Dylan, David. I love you so much. I loved you from the moment you were born. I would have died for you the instant I met you, but you don't deserve it. <laughs> I want to make sure you know. I want you to make sure you know. You can't. You can can't. you imagine feeding your
2: baby a bottle and going, yeah. you don't deserve this bottle.
0: Now, now can, I, can, I just make, can I just make one tiny change in that worship song that would, that would change the whole thing? What if in the worship song, instead of saying that, what if it said, I don't need to earn it, I don't need to deserve it because that's true. My sons don't need to earn my love. They don't need to. It's different to say they don't need to than to say they couldn't, right? What I'm saying is, oh, you lack something. You're so pathetic. You could never earn it. But see, again, we put that you know what I mean? You know, and Nowhere in the Bible, a minute ago I, I, I quoted, even mentioned these amazing verses, right? In Ephesians and, and Philippians and, and, and Colossians and Romans where Paul just gushes about this incredible love of God, higher, wider, longer, deeper, more of it blows your mind. It transcends knowledge, it's so incredible. Nothing could ever separate us from the love of God. And at no point in any of those verses ever does Paul finish that thought by saying, and you don't deserve it, you filthy slime. It's true. Never. Sure. We do. Wow. We add. We pencil that in the corner. We put that in there. But God doesn't. Gosh, it just it, it kills me. Like, that's one of my biggest pet peeves about worship music. That no matter how beautiful the song is, just talking about the amazing, the reckless love of God. Oh, but by the way, you slime ball, you don't deserve it. You pig. Like why? That's my voice, right? That, to me, is the same as David in this beautiful psalm about this beautiful love of God. David drops in about dashing babies' heads against the rocks. That was David. That's not God, right? So we, unfortunately, we screw it up. We put our own little twist on it that that screws it up.
1: I did worship for like 10 years and played every instrument. And So the way that I've gotten over my cynicism is to avoid worship music. (laughs) It's always in six eight timing, and I can't listen to songs in six eight timing anymore because I'm just <laughs> like, oh, this sounds like a fucking worship song. And it just seems so con- like to me the whole idea of worship music as like a genre of music sounds so absurd to me. I, I was in, I went to school for music, and it's like, like <laughs> for one, I get I'm more worshipful hiking a mountain. Why does why do we talk about worship like like now we got to play some. CGE minor like <laughs> fucking bullshit D-C-G-E. all the same time it's like you can play those And things. then there is the stuff you know like you you paid the debt for me and all this penal substitution right. stuff that's just like the minute i hear that i i'm just like okay i can still be worshipful i can still you know look at the people who are have the good intention their their heart is in the right place but i personally can't be like oh i'm connected to god now it just it's just like i don't I don't understand why playing a song in six eight timing makes me closer to God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I I listen to like I listen to offensive music for most people it would be offensive music. Like I listen to Logic, he's a rapper, and I find his lyrics are like way more closer to on point to what being a human is like, and I find more connection to. And he would say all these offensive things that my parents would just die over. And it's like, well, that to me is actually more accurate than this beautiful worship music I played for 10 years. And I would be like, do you want any vocals in your monitor? I'm like, fuck no. <laughs> I'm good. I don't need vocals in the monitor because I, I can't, I, you know, it's just that stuff that's just like, Jesus, you paid our debt. And I'm just thinking like, okay, so God was going to beat the shit out of Jesus until he decided not to. And I'm, I'm supposed to be like, thank you, God. Like, so that yeah. I, so I, I avoid worship. I can't listen to like I can't listen to it on the radio. What if and, and, and when I say worship music, I mean you know like the, right. you know what I mean. The genre of music. Like I find Bob Dylan much more worshipful. Yeah. Or Bob Marley. Or uh God, Sam Cooke, Otis Redding. Like I, I, I find a connection to who I am as a human and how that relates to. God, the divine, oh, yeah. the universe, whatever—way more than I ever like got out of yeah. Hillsong. And the great thing
0: about that stuff, that that kind of music, uh, is that you don't have to wait until Sunday morning at nine o'clock and go to a certain place at a certain time and listen to certain right. music. And well, now because it's not an
1: agenda, it's art for the sake. It's it's, it's, it's art in any a anytime, pure anywhere. sense. Not well, we got to create this thing, but we we got to make sure that we've. We we've got it in this formula with this, and that's yeah. just how it seems. It just seems well, really formulated. I think to me. people
2: are. I think I think people are tend to be emotionally repressed. So when people are emotionally repressed, the one time a week they get to express their emotion is on Sunday morning in high po- and high powered praise bands, and it feels good to express your emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, agree, I I agree, it feels good. But I've always been struck by in the in the scriptures it talks about like the mountains worship and the trees worship and I just think that's profound. It's like how do mountains worship like literally think about it like what do mountains do to worship nothing <laughs> they just be they just are they just do what they do they just are the ocean worships by being what it is, so the question is I just think maybe maybe the understanding of worship needs to expand a little bit. I get it that it's the emotional expression. Human beings, though, worship. I believe that we worship when we are able to connect with our heart. And when we connect with our heart, we're able to express love. So when you love, because obviously, what is God? The essence of God is love. God is love. So when human beings love and can express love, that is worship. So every time you express love to another being, you are worshiping. And I just think that there's a picture of that that's happening in these worship services and where people are connecting with their hearts. It just so happens that that's the only time they can really do that. You know, like how often do people look and weep and say things and express their devotion? Like you would think that you, people experience that in dating and relationships periodically for a season and then they get away from that. But what if that was the way we were meant to live? which we are like enamored and we're expressing somebody's adoration all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's worship. And when we do that, we're worshiping. And I just don't think that has to be limited to a theoretical being in the sky. I think we can like express adoration to one another.
1: Be worshipful when you give to the homeless. I mean, if you see it like worship, you're going to see things a lot differently.
0: Well, yeah. And then actually that's the funny thing that if you look at scripturally, um, the worship is not singing. It's like worship is never be. equated it's with not, singing.
1: It's not, it doesn't. But it's, it's usually it, yeah. like the
0: way you live your life, right? It's right. more about who you are and it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's orthopraxy. It's how, I, how I'm how right. i living my life. That's what honors God. That's what gives glory right. to God, right? right. Um, can I read something real quick? Because you were talking about worship music and uh, I've only found, it's very rare to find a worship song or just a song in general that, that you think just sort of nails it. And there's a there's a song by David Crowder called Praise the Lord. I don't know what you think about David Crowder. You probably think, oh, he's a cheesy
2: guy. I love David Crowder.
0: But, dude, the lyrics to this song so to start, to blow me away. As as so David. the song here's the lyrics. I used to shake you like an eight ball. I used to shoot you like a gun. I used to hold you like a hammer, try to nail down everyone. I used to keep you in a steeple. I used to bind you in a book. I used to take you like prescription without knowing what I took. But now... I just don't buy it anymore. No, I've tried, and I've tried to know everything for sure, but I find I know less as I come to know you more. You're not who I thought you were. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's
2: so good. Now
0: that is a worship song.
1: So, <laughs> good. so good. So good. So, so is One Love by Bob Marley, though.
0: That is too, yes. And uh, yeah, and uh, it, what is, it's a wonderful world. Another, another Bruno Mars song. has
2: a lot of good worship songs too.
1: Yeah. And Celine Dion, I bet. Right.
0: Teddy Perry. Katy Perry. Yeah. Totally. Rage against the machine. I love testify. Sleep now in the fire. Gorilla radio. Awesome song. Tupac. Awesome. So I think, I think we're wrapping it up here. Thank you guys for sticking around. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, please, you know, if you're not on the Patreon page, check that out. I'm going to the Facebook group. Um, We have a hotline. You should call the hotline or text us. Let us know what you think. I've already announced that. We really care about that. So, thank you.